everyone. Thanks for joining us at the Peaking Down Forest podcast. I'm with Shaq and Kevin. I'm Tori. I'll be uh, kind of walking us through the conversation. Um, so just a little bit about what we're doing. Just three guys, two enthusiasts and a noob coming together to really talk shop about Formula One, what's going on in the sport, the moves the teams are making, just any anything that's of note. Um, our opinions are our own, of course. You know, you don't have to agree, you don't have to disagree, but this is how we feel about what's going on. So let's get started. Um, so here we are at Monaco uh, this past week. Now, um, after missing this race for the first time in over 50 years because of the COVID pandemic uh, last year, um, Formula One returned to Monaco. As a new consumer of the Formula One sport, I didn't know what to expect here. I honestly, like, I, I've, when compared to the other tracks that I've seen people drive on thus far, I don't really get what the the allure of Monaco is. So I think it would be really great if, if you guys, you, Kevin and Shaq, could just kind of tell me why I should care about this track. Like, what, what is it that's so exciting about Monaco? Because to me, it seemed kind of underwhelming. There's a lot of talk about that actually coming this weekend. Um, not about why people should, well, kind of, but uh, not about why people should care, but about, you know, what, you know, I guess, will the racing be anything to, you know, write home about? And, you know, people, um, you know, this track is a, a historic track, it's a legacy track. Um, I think it's one that um, holds a lot of sentimental value to F1 as an organization, as a governing body, um, and it's one of those like classic events in their season, I guess. Hmm. How'd you say, Shaq? Before you jump oh, in, oh, I, like I just wanted to add one more thing. Um, uh-huh. It feels like Monaco is relevant because of everything surrounding the actual course itself, like <laughs> the allure, being there. Yeah. You know, that that's the vibe that I'm. Am I am I wrong there? That's that's pretty much what I would go with, honestly. It's it's the vibe. Um, I feel like Monaco's Monaco's about the atmosphere. It's about like leading up to race race week. Um, Monaco's F one is basically the sport of millionaires, right? And Monaco is a millionaire's playground, and so it's it's kind of just you're in Monaco, pretty much the one of the wealthiest cities in the world. Everyone's looking at you. People come in on their million dollar yachts into the harbor to, to watch this race and honestly it's really more just about being in the environment and everyone that's around and the fact that the race has been going on for so long pretty much since f1 started uh, it's the longest running race so that's there's some history there too and then of course you have the the royal family in monaco uh the race winner always gets invited to a dinner with the royal family at, like the palace and everything so it's it's pretty much like you said it's everything except for the actual race <laughs> you know i did not even know there was Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah so just, uh, every year on the um except obviously not this year i don't think they were there but every year on the um on the podium it's normally the uh like the princess of monaco that hands them the uh the trophy it's oh, like wow. this blonde haired lady hmm. yeah wow. dude i even saw serena williams there i was mm-hmm. like something about this feels like a little bit more uh, yeah 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 and pretty much every year monaco there's always a bunch of stars uh tom holland was there this year last in 2019 um odell beckham was there he did like a a lap around the track with lewis hamilton and stuff and in one of his uh road cars it's it's pretty much just like a big festival for the most part and there happens to be a race on sunday so it's like an all-star weekend almost yeah okay okay Okay. see that makes me that makes me view it a little bit more a little bit differently now like yeah. come with that all-star um vibe cool so from what i understand this race is really determined on saturday so let's let's talk a little bit about uh qualifying and how things shook out um we can start with mercedes so as everyone knows mercedes came into the weekend as leaders in both cups uh both championships rather um but if you ask Mercedes, they would, they would tell you different. They wouldn't necessarily tell you differently, but they would. They've been underselling their performance. They've been downplaying their chances at the in these races. And is this something that 
we should come to expect from them? Do they know something that we don't know? I, I don't know. It just seems like every time you ask somebody from Mercedes, you know, they can't call it either way. Um, the thing about that is every now and again, you tend to be right. And sometimes things do go from bad to worse. Uh, Mercedes struggled to keep up with Red Bull and surprisingly enough, Ferrari um, all throughout the weekend. Ultimately, um, Valtteri Bottas managed the P3 in qualifying with Hamilton qualifying a disastrous P7. So, guys, what went wrong for Mercedes and what are your thoughts there in qualifying? So, I guess there is a there's a kind of difference in, in, in how the the cars from different teams actually lean as far as downforce and um, power production, uh, power plant. And something I feel like Mercedes knows the specific tendencies of their car compared to other to other people on the grid. I think all all, all the teams are figuring it out um, at about this point in the season. But I think Mercedes kind of knew because um, they've been kind of on it. So I think it's a little bit of gamesmanship. Um, but I also they know where their car might be. They say they know exactly where the weak points of their car are, and right now they're still like driving and excelling their way around them. But um, I think that may be why they're why they're still downplaying. But I think it was kind of put on display this this weekend because there have been kind of niggles and naggles over over downforce and car setup, um, and dealing with is it was it front end or rear end like twitchiness and just being unsettled. Um, and Mercedes. It was it was rare at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and um, so I mean that's part of what that's I think a part of what went wrong. Um, just one of those things that they know is like a sticking point with their car or whatever the setup is. Um, I think really hampered them this weekend. Um, and then it <laughs> went from bad to worse, but. Um, yeah, what, so I didn't hear about these car setup disagreements that, 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 uh, Yeah, so basically after Thursday, uh, Mercedes, Mercedes finished practice kind of off the pace. I think Hamilton finished P3 and P5 in the first two practice sessions. So on Friday, since Monaco's a little different, they have all of Friday off where they can pretty much work on, work on their cars and decide what they want to do for Saturday. Uh, the team, the team in Hamilton basically disagreed on how they wanted to set the car up. I'm not sure on specifics, but I would have to guess that one wanted to set the car up more for disqualifying, and the other one maybe wanted to just set it up more for better race pace. And whatever the case may be, the the two, the team in Hamilton disagreed on which direction to go. The team basically overruled Hamilton. Hamilton uh, went with their setup, and he just seemed to not be able to get it to work for him in qualifying. And we'll kind of talk about later after the race. He had he made some comments, but uh, it just seems like he wasn't really happy with that setup. So that was that was kind of the car setup disagreements in that that they were talking about. Um, uh, the biggest thing for me with with Mercedes Mercedes kind of this weekend is I think their biggest strength this season, just at this at this track in particular, and we'll probably see it again maybe at, at Singapore. Uh, their greatest strength all season has basically been their tire management. Right, we've seen it at every race. Um, Red Bull switches on their tires really quickly. They're able to get their tires into that into that perfect working window super quick. And at the beginning of races, you'll see them get better starts and kind of pull away from Mercedes. And then just over the course of a stint, you'll see Hamilton claw back at Verstappen and just reel him in as the tires on the Red Bull go off and Mercedes is still just maintaining their tires so well. Now at a normal track, that works well. Uh, but Monaco's a little different where... Monaco is super short lap. Uh, there's basically no way to pass anyone, and there's very low tire degradation, which also means that there's very little tire warm up. So it takes quite a bit to work your tires into that window, even for a normal car. So a car like Mercedes, which takes a while to get in their, their tires into the working window, it's very hard for them in the course of qualifying to really get their tires working where they would like to. Uh, so. I think that's that's a big part of why they struggled. Uh, it was just getting the tires up to speed in in that short time and qualifying, and because of that, they 
kind of ended up a little bit back and in Monaco you can't overtake so basically where you qualify is where you're going to be um, I think the other thing of course is Mercedes does have the biggest car um, as far as wheelbase length they're, they're the biggest car in F1 so that's not going to do too well for them either like going through the narrow streets of Monaco is it a huge difference to the other cars? No but I mean it, we're talking about these cars every every centimeter matters so that's why I get so- Considering the tire issues, considering the setup uh, conflict, is Hamilton free of, of blame for this performance, or do we feel like he's responsible too? What do you guys think about that? I think we've done it in other races. If we come in here and we look at two teammates and we look at how teammate A did and how teammate B did, and Botas had the measure of Hamilton this weekend from the very start of practice to, to the race. I just, Lewis was never there, and if I'm comparing him to what his teammate did in the same equipment, I, I have to I have to put blame on him, you know? I, I think your point is valid, Shaq, and um, I think that's how we, we, we've approached it thus far on the, on the show. Like, hey, we've got two guys that have the same equipment, um, the results should be similar, and this weekend they weren't. Um, whether or not he is going to, he being Hamilton, He's going to be able to get everything that he's asking for. I mean, listen, some of the biggest stars in other sports aren't able to always have things their way. It's how do you adjust and how do you keep the, you know, keep the ball rolling. Right. Um, all right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Red Bull. Uh, I think it's, it's fair to say they, as a team, kept it relatively clean all weekend long. Uh, Verstappen looked pretty much on pace with the Ferraris um, all weekend. And Perez... Seemed to struggle a little bit in qualifying. Um, the two qualified at P2 and P9, respectively. Uh, it, it, it still looked like a very strong weekend from the Red Bull team. Do you think they could have done any better? As I mean, as far as Max, I, I don't think so. Uh, it, it actually looked like in qualifying before, before some events occurred. Uh, it looked like he was possibly even going to take pole uh, anyway. And, I mean, it's kind of what we've come to expect from Max Verstappen is he's going to be near the front. He's going to do everything he can to win. Uh, so this was just on par, typical Verstappen performance uh, that I think we saw this weekend. And kind of the same thing for Perez. Uh, he's, I don't I don't know what it is about this car where when they're really on, on like that knife edge in qualifying, he's just not able to extract what he needs to out of the car. I mean, we've seen him get close a couple times, like Emil and things like that, but... Perez has never been the strongest qualifier, and this car just seems—he just seems to still be. And I mean, it's only been five races, but he seems to still be struggling with with getting getting the most out of it in qualifying. Uh, so I think that's the only place they could have really gotten better this weekend. I think they ran excellent race strategy, and everything else from them was was kind of perfect this weekend. So good on them. And then we have Ferrari. Um... Who saw this coming? I They seem to have reemerged, and um, all weekend long, they were at either the top or near the top in practice sessions leading up to qualifying. They're, they're, I think there was a little bit of speculation that they were running a higher engine mode, and when um, during qualifying, things would kind of come back down to earth, but hey, the results speak for themselves with a P1 and a P3 for Leclerc and Sainz, respectively. Uh, it showed they had pace on uh, the streets of Monaco. So yeah. where did this come from? Man, so that was, that was you know, one of the big, the, the big, big, just, uh, I guess, traumatic turns of the weekend is just how fast they looked at Monaco. And, you know, I think there are a few reasons for, for that, just, just looking at it. There, so the Ferrari, uh, it, not do well on I guess a very large full full size track let's put it like that um, there are a few things about their car this season the tire degradation overheating um, as well as not having like the that big long straight speed um, to keep up with Mercedes and Red Bull but Monaco is a track um, that really isn't like any other Formula One marks but it is very unique in that the it's very small tight short lap um, there isn't as much tire wear there's not as much focus on downforce as well 
um, because it's too twisty for you to actually generate um, a, a lot of constant downforce. Um, and so um, that kind of led to um, their car really being able to shine at its, uh, at its strengths be a, just actually kind of nostalgic to see in the streets of Monaco. Um, Ferraris kind of, you know, running away with things to a point. I don't know. What do you think, Shaq? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with what Kevin said. Uh, Monaco is really just an outlier on the calendar, and it, it mitigates a lot of the issues Ferrari had with not having the top speed because there's no straights to go through. And I mean, with Monaco, with the with the twisty bits, you pretty much just bolt on the as much downforce as you can um, inherently onto the car without having to worry about like downforce under load and just give it a go. And that's the 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 car. Their car actually is actually really good in slow corners. Uh, we saw that back in Barcelona, and I think uh, Lando Norris even after the Barcelona race, looking at the the sector data. Uh, texted Carlos Sainz and said he he thought he had a chance at actually winning Monaco, uh, which sounds crazy at the time, but we see that it wasn't so far off. So I wouldn't expect them to be like this in Baku uh, when we hit those long straights again, but at any circuit in the future um, where you don't really have to worry about the top speed and maybe overtaking is not the easiest, uh, look for Ferrari to do pretty well. So I, I feel like there's an elephant in the driver's seat here. Um, Leclerc was on his final qualifying lap and not improving his first two sector times when he clipped the right wall going through the swimming pool section. And this caused him to slam into the wall, of course, and end his session early. Uh, it's kind of been speculated by some in the media that this crash wasn't as much of an accident as it appeared to be. Do you guys think there's any truth to, to that speculation? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's F1, so we're always going to throw off throwing our tinfoil hats. And I mean, naturally, it's it's not actually the first time that we've seen someone quote unquote crash uh, near the end of qualifying when they were leading. Uh, the l- most recent time was 2014 with uh, <laughs> Nico Rosberg. He basically had had the pole lap and just so happened to run off at Mirabeau, uh, basically stopping his teammate Lewis Hamilton from having any chance of setting a pole lap. Uh, if you go back and watch it was it was pretty much guaranteed he did it on purpose and then just to like make matters worse he reversed onto the track <laughs> uh, to make sure that they had to stop anyone from going I personally don't think that's the case here I mean we can we can speculate but I think there would have been easier places if if Leclerc wanted really wanted to to kind of fake crash to fake crash without risking damage to your gearbox uh, that chicane is kind of notorious for damaging gearboxes with any crashes. Uh, Verstappen's crashed there twice. Uh, early in the weekend, we saw Latifi crash there. And so, I, either he's really, really good at faking crashes, or it it just happened. Um, I think really what happened was he realized that on his last lap, he wasn't, he wasn't improving on his lap. I think the first two sectors, he had set yellows. And at that point, he was just going balls to the wall to try and, to try and make up as much time as possible in that final sector. And was just a bit out of control. I think that's what happened personally, but yeah, I just think he got a little bit too too hungry, thirsty, aggressive, whatever. Okay, well, I, listen, I, I as we've been over this a few times, I'm still newcomer to the sport. I just don't. I I find it hard to believe that somebody would intentionally crash, um, especially considering the speeds that they're moving at and how how dangerous that could be. Oh. Um, Welcome to F1, my friend. Yeah, that's it's 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 quite a theory. So obviously the crash has some rippling ripple effects for uh, uh, Team Ferrari. Uh, it says Le- Leclerc reported to the team that he was experiencing gear shift issues, and then Ferrari decided to gamble. They decided not to replace that gearbox um, after the crash, as it probably would have cost them that pole position that he secured with the five place grid penalty. But uh, as it turns out, it wasn't the gearbox. It was the left drive shaft mount. Um, that was the root of the problem. You guys think this is just a freak occurrence or a little bit of an oversight by Ferrari? Uh, I hate being down the middle here, but I'm going to say a little bit of both. Kind of a freak occurrence just because of the fact that they hit the car on the right side. I know it was the left side, 
uh, mount that failed. So I, I get that maybe that's not something you inspect, but I also think if you have the time to inspect the car, why wouldn't you inspect the entire rear end just to make sure? Um, if, if you're so worried about gambling to make sure that you can start on pole to win Monaco, I would have probably looked at the part, and I think Bonotto even said that they didn't actually inspect the part because, again, they crashed on the right-hand side. I mean, it, I don't know. It sucks, but I, I think they should have maybe gone into a little bit more detail looking, but I can't fully blame them just because, again, it was kind of odd for that to be the cause of their issue, you know? Yeah, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty. Yeah. So with Leclerc out of the race, essentially Verstappen, you know, would start at the front of the grid. And he, as we know, he was running well all all weekend. Uh, Kevin, you mind walking us through the actual start of the race? Yeah. So um, prior to the race, the race director decided not to have everybody um, move up a grid spot and instead just had all the drivers start in their normal qualifying position so um, that left an empty spot on pole which then gives uh, the person in P3 um, a clear run into the first turn. So this gave Botas, who was in P3, qualifying in P3, gave him a clean run to get alongside uh, Verstappen into turn one and it looked like he had it kind of he was really close to actually pulling alongside and trying to overtake, um, but Verstappen slammed the door shut on Bottas, and he just couldn't get, you know, he didn't have enough room, a uh, very small circuit. And so then um, now, now once, you know, Verstappen actually took the lead into turn one, it was, you know, Monaco in the modern era, pretty much, and just set up for kind of a battle of attrition. Appreciate that. And yeah, it just seemed like the race was pretty quiet until we got to the pit stops. So Mercedes was first to pit with Hamilton coming in for his first stop, followed by Botas on the following lap. Um, now, unfortunately for Botas, he just got a horrible streak, it seems, a streak of luck, bad luck. The stop went really wrong, and the driver's front right wheel, um, it was stuck to the car. And that wheel net was completely sh- sheared by the wheel gun, so they weren't able to get the wheel off. Uh, to add insult to injury, Lewis Hamilton, following that early pit stop, he, he wasn't able to undercut Pierre Gasly in sixth, and instead, both Gasly and Hamilton were overcut by Sebastian Vettel a few laps later and Sergio Perez. So two weeks ago, we were singing praises for Mercedes' strategy, um, their planning ahead, their decision-making. So what gives? Because this seemed very far from the same strategic force we saw a couple weeks ago. Yeah, honestly, you know, you figure um, a team on that level is due one bad weekend, maybe uh, maybe two um, a season. And this was one of those weekends where... Um, you know, maybe disagreeing the setup, the car doesn't feel right for one driver versus the other, qualifying, things are out of their normal order, so you're a little off balance. Now you get to race time, and um, it just seemed like, you know, as soon as they brought, I don't think uh, Lewis Hamilton wanted to come in um, when he did, um, and I, th- I believe. He even said so on team radio. Um, it got kind of spicy after that pit stop. Um, and um, then outside of the, 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 the Hamilton stop, just the shearing of the wheel nut on Bottas' car, um, those had been an issue. Um, the wheel nut had been an issue um, with Mercedes this season, um, and they haven't you know, redesigned it um, before this incident but this is like a complete failure um very complete um the video was like the slow motion video was pretty like telling uh, seeing all of the actual like fins or like gripping points actually shear off and come like flying out of the end of the gun um 
now they're actually going to look at trying to change the design of the nuts and the guns, maybe make that less likely to happen. So we'll see how that goes going forward. Um, we'll, and let's see, what did uh, Total Wolf had something to say about um, Botas as well? Yeah, so the most ridiculous thing, and kind of like, <laughs> just to add insult to injury, not only is Valtteri out of the race, but after the race, Toto basically like tried to say that uh, Botas was a little bit to blame for the wheel nut failure as well because he stopped a little short in the pick box and that created a weird um, weird angle for the for the front right Jackman or not Jackman but the the wheel wheelman whatever you want to call him uh, basically which is what contributed to to the wheel nut kind of being sheared off and I I that I don't know that just was ridiculous to me because of the fact that there's four wheels on a car three of them made it off okay but somehow him stopping short was the cause for this one not coming off like yeah, come on bro. how does that make sense and just throwing throwing him under the bus right. I just <laughs> I don't see how Botas is in that car next year with with like this kind of stuff I mean the one weekend he does everything right he's beating his teammate he he had the measure of Hamilton seven time world champion all weekend. This freak accident happens, and somehow they still fi- manage to blame you. And that's that's ridiculous, man. And I mean, you could see it after the race. He, um, I don't know if you guys saw, but he didn't even go to the, his his team garage. He actually went to the FIA garage. So the FIA has their own like little garage uh, at the end of the pit lane, which happens to be right next to the Mercedes garage because Mercedes is typically at the end of the pit lane. And he went in there for a couple minutes, I guess, to kind of collect himself before even going in to face his team because he was so pissed off. And I don't blame him. Like, that's crazy. Shit luck. Yeah, just terrible luck. Um, but, yeah, that um, was he. He was trying to, so Lewis was trying to actually undercut um, Gasly in the midst of all this. And he is outlap so he, he went back out on the hards and we talked about this kind of setup issue um where he kind of wanted something different um for um, his car but they went with the, the team's preferred setup um we talked about how easy they are on tires so Lewis went back out on hards after his pit stop and Gazzy was still on his softs um and his outlap on the hards was slower than the inlap uh Gassi's inlap on the soft uh, tires and so that means that Gasly was right back ahead and slowing down Hamilton um, once he actually did get his tires up to temperature um, which didn't allow Bell and Perez to just kind of cruise by um, which I mean great for those guys um, Vettel actually looked pretty good this weekend I say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I just b- before you even get to car setup just looking at Monaco and looking at Mercedes, and like in my head, the the undercut was never going to work, and it it should never work in Monaco. And it kind of goes back to the same things that we've been talking about. Undercuts work really well at a track where there is t- a bunch of tire degradation, so that towards the end of the stint, the tire that you're on is going to fall off, and it's going to be significantly faster lap times on the new tire when you come out of your pit stop. Right, that's when the undercut's going to work because you come out of the pit on fresh tires and can do a much faster pace than the guys on the old tires. That doesn't happen in Monaco, because like we talked about, there's very low tire degradation. So, that undercut is never going to work at Monaco, just because of the fact that there is no tire degradation, and pretty much all the drivers are just saving the tires all race, and they can pretty much push whenever they want to. Now, an even bigger issue is that Mercedes has a car that's not very good on its tires when it first comes out of the pits. Right, we, we've seen it. They're very gentle on their tires. So that means that coming onto a fresh pair of tires, especially the hards, which are going to be longer to warm up than any other tire, you're going to struggle for lap time in that first lap. And like Kevin said, Lewis's outlap was two seconds slower than Gasly's lap that he was doing on his used softs. And so it just it never made sense that, that they did that. I'm, I'm not really sure um, <laughs> what Mercedes was thinking. And I don't even think this is playing Sunday morning quarterback. I mean, you look at that race, you see Lewis Hamilton in seventh place. Anyone with sense is going to say, okay, well, Lewis Hamilton, the best tire saver on the grid, bar maybe Sergio Perez. They're just going to run him long, see where he can get, pit him late, 
and and try and jump a few people. I, I don't really know what Mercedes Pitwall was thinking. Um, like you said, Tori, I mean, two weeks ago we were talking about how great they were, and this week, I don't know if they were asleep. I, I, I don't know. But it was, it was just too much in Monaco. Something, man. But it was. It just looked bad. It it never made sense. But so, if if Lewis Hamilton is one of the premier, if not the premier, driver in Formula One at this current time, how much leeway is he expected to have? How much bargaining power should he be expected to have when it comes to like, hey? I feel we need to do this. The team says we need to do that. Like, like, how often? You, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It all, it almost feels like you have a LeBron James as a sports parallel, and you're not letting him adjust his play to what he sees on the court, which feels counterintuitive. That's, I mean, that's fair. That's a fair assessment. Uh, but I think at the same time. Mercedes does. I mean, outside of this weekend, we've seen Mercedes pull off some really great strategy calls. And they get a lot of things right. And there's been a lot of times where Hamilton has questioned their strategy and they end up being right. Um, even what we saw last last race with the with the pitting him twice. Uh, the first time they did that in Hungary, uh, Hamilton didn't want to do it. He was very skeptical. And they they kind of pushed him into it. James Viles came onto the onto the radio and said, Hey, you have to do this. And so I get that that, you know, it's it is Lewis Hamilton, he's a seven time world championship world champion, and it's hey, when when do you just like kind of relinquish to the driver? Um, but I, I guess Mercedes just really, really felt they knew what was best in the situation. And I mean, it's it's easy for us and Hamilton to play again, you know, Monday morning driver and say, well, my way would have worked better. But I mean, we don't really know, you know. For Red Bull, I'd say this worked out better than expected. It, you know. This allows Sergio Perez to push into clean air before his pit stop and jump from P8 all the way up to P4. That's where he ultimately finished. Um, so, you know, after a few weeks of questioning some of Red Bull's on-track decisions, feels like they really stepped it up against Mercedes, and now they walk away with a four-point lead in the Drivers' Championship and a one-point lead in Constructors. So with Perez finishing P4... Does this weekend kind of set a precedent for what we should expect from him moving forward? I think so. I don't know. I don't know how much we should take from this. That's why I kind of want to like, ah, let's, let's bring it in. Let's think for a second. Because um, there were some good, good decisions made by Red Bull. And they definitely had a great weekend. Um, and they deserve to be in the lead in both championships um, just because of how well um, they are performed as a team. Um, and But, you know, how much, I guess, can we take from, like, a performance in this weekend in, in the actual race where you can't pass and, and, you know, it's very different from races that, we, that you know, we're, we're, we see on every other track. Um, I think that rather than expecting more from this point forward because of the performance, I think maybe we should kind of expect the performance to maybe and and the standings now to kind of light a fire under Red Bull. Like, you know, okay, like we thought we could do this. And then, you know, then it was kind of like, mm, maybe we kind of, you know, uh, you know, out, outreached ourselves our eyes were bigger than our stomachs as they say um but now they're in the lead they're right there and so i think that gives them confidence moving forward um now whether that means that we see different things um from perez or not i'm not sure um but i would like to see him comfortable in that red bull um fully um and I do think that happens eventually, but I, you know, I don't know if this weekend is like the the signal that we've been looking for. I don't know if I'm too hopeful, to be honest with you. I, I still think that Perez has historically not been the strongest qualifier, and I just, I just don't think he's he's locked into that car yet. I I expect him to be a little bit closer in in uh, Baku. 
in two weeks. Still don't expect him to be qualifying like on the on the front row or anything like that. Uh, I, I still think it's going to take him. Honestly, if I'm being honest, I'd probably say about half the season to really catch up. And even then, I still don't think he's going to be on the on the qualifying pace of Verstappen because I just I just don't think that's him. But I think I think he's got some time to go still. Fair enough. Uh, Shaq, you want to lead us through uh, the rest of the grid? Yeah. Uh, so we kind of talked about the <laughs> this weekend. Luckily, we had a big three. Uh, so we kind of talked about Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. Uh, so let's let's start with your guy, Tori. Uh, let's go to McLaren. Uh, kind of had a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, we had Lando Norris finishing on the podium in P3. Uh, but but our, our guy, Danny Rick, couldn't make it out of Q2. I think he qualified in like 13th. And finish the race in 12th. Hey um, Until he gets a top five performance, I don't know if that's my guy. <laughs> you know how I feel about Pierre oh, Gasly. Pure pain. With Gasly. Pure pain. This man is well, and I mean, so Ricardo's won Monaco once. He almost won it a second time. Uh, well, really, the first time he almost won, and then he won it the second time. Um, he he loves this track. He's not. He's good around here. I really thought this was going to be his weekend where he really he really buckled up and and, and took it took it to Norris and. It was the exact opposite, so I'm a little disappointed there. Tori says it's not his guy anymore, so... Hey, man, it happens. <laughs> you, got, you got to show up on Sundays, man. Oh, uh, can I... Yeah. Just real quick question. Do you think this... you think this is like a worrying sign for Ricardo? You know, I know I knew this was one of his favorite tracks coming in, so I was looking for kind of the same, but it was kind of... It was dismal based on what we've seen out of him before, so what do you think going forward yeah i'm a little i'm a little bit concerned personally uh so i don't know there's i don't know what it is with this mclaren car but like they keep saying that you have to have like a basically you have to drive with like a special style to really get the car to go fast and that ricardo's still having to learn that and he's also saying you know he's he's not trying to adapt the car to him but rather adapting to the car so I don't I don't know what it is, and he also said that him and Norris have the same setup. He's not trying to change anything because he wants to make sure he gets like learns how to drive the car. And I don't know if there's something like special that they have or what. It's it is a bit worrisome to me. I mean, like I said last last podcast, I mean he's he's put in some decent performances. I think I think we've blown some of them out of proportion, but I think this weekend was was really troubling for me. So. Did I did I miss something? Has has Norris won like this year? Has he has he come in P first or or second? He's uh he's he's had I think two podiums now, two P threes. I think he so got no. So he hasn't won, right? Yeah. So like why are we so hung up on doing things the exact same way that Norris does them when he hasn't won? Uh well, is, I think is that simplistic? I think it's because he's he's been on the podium and he's kind of outshined Ricardo, especially on on Sundays during the actual race, I think he just looks a lot stronger in the races themselves. Uh, so I guess you know with, when we look at teammates, we we look at how they're doing versus the other one, and we just I guess assume that Norris is just getting more out of the car than Ricardo. And I guess because Norris has been with the team longer, he probably understands the car more. Yeah, and so I guess I guess that's why that's why people look at it and say, well, he needs to adjust. That's but. fair. I just, me personally, I w- if I bring you onto my team, I expect you to do the things that you do well. Like, that's what makes you who you are. And I I, I just feel like this, this I'm going to tailor my style to this, this machine. I don't necessarily know if that's going to, like, continue to work out because it doesn't seem like he's comfortable in the car. And the results have been mediocre at best, is just from what I've seen this year. Yeah. Hey. Based on his overall pace, uh, yeah, they have been just kind of middling results so far. And like you, Tori, I'm like, well, yeah, you might as well drop that and just adjust that car to make yourself fast at this point. Because why even why even stick with anybody else's setup that and try and force yourself to learn it? I mean, I guess there's some growth to be seen in that, but I mean, how many was there's twenty drivers? Right? Is it twenty? Yeah, it's twenty drivers. He finished twelve. That's that's nine spots better than me, and I didn't drive, bro. So like, <laughs> at some point, 
we got to we have to do something about this, man. Like, come on. But uh, yeah. let's let's move forward. Right. Um, let's hop up to uh, Alphatari. Uh, see, okay, your new guy, Gasly. <laughs> Uh, kind of another mixed bag with this tiny team, but Gasly did manage to finish P6 just ahead of Lewis Hamilton, uh, although he did get overtaken by Sebastian Vettel and Sergio Perez in the race. Not much he could do there. Uh, now his rookie teammate, Tsunoda, kind of struggled all weekend and finished in P16. I just want to know, when, when do we start worrying about Tsunoda? Mm, I think it might be bad time. Bad I guess bad timing as far as like a first time track um, for a rookie um, early in the season um, while still I guess getting used to the car, getting used to the team, getting used to F1 so I'm willing to hold out hope um, and see what happens in the next race or two before I start to really worry because at that point we'll be a third of the way through the season after what two races? Uh, like yeah, yeah, we'll be in about two races. We'll be just under a third of the way through. Yeah, so I feel like I'll, all show long we've said that Monaco is an outlier and it's unlike any other track. So, following that line of thinking, I, I think it's fair to expect someone who's never driven here before to have a difficult time. So, I that's where I am on it. That's fair. Uh, who's next? Alpine. So, Alpine. Bit off the pace, uh, as opposed to the last couple of races uh, this today, but Ocon still had a pretty good drive. At least I felt he had a decent drive. He did finish P9 after, I think, qualifying around... Actually, I think he qualified around the same place. So, But I don't know. I thought he had a decent drive. Uh, his teammate Alonso, on the other hand, made his first return to Monaco in almost four years and was unable to make it into the points. And I'm, I'm just getting ready to, to kind of start... Revisiting some some preseason predictions because I believe some of us said that Alonzo was going to come in and kind of like cook Ocon because Alonzo is like the greatest thing since sliced bread, as people will say. And my guy Ocon's holding his own, man. All right, uh, so moving on to Aston. Or it, like Kevin said earlier, Vettel. Vettel had himself a weekend, and it it looks like we're just starting to see. Vettel starting to put together some race weekends. He looked decent in Spain. And today managed to qualify P8 uh, on Saturday and finish the race in P5 after a nice overcut on on Hamilton and, uh, and Gasly. Uh, Lance Stroll qualified in P13, but he did manage to, to go super long on his first stint where he, I think, was the only car that started on the hards and ran super long and ended up finishing P8. But, yeah, Aston looked like they had some good race pace and good strategy this weekend uh, that they'll basically hope to continue in Baku in two weeks. Um, really happy, uh, it looked like, and I hope kind of this Vettel resurgence continues into Baku, but it looked like he got a little bit more comfortable in the car. And we even saw the smallest bit of wheel-to-wheel racing that we saw in this whole race between Gasly and Vettel. Uh, well, we started to see it, and then they cut away at like the critical point to Lance Stroll in 18th by himself. (laughs) That was the most nonsensical point of the race for me. I'm like, did did someone pay for this shot specifically? Why are we looking at this versus, wasn't somebody just about to pass? (laughs) Why are we switching? Well, it's like literally you have two cars side by side going through one of the tightest parts of the track and they're just like, and Lance Stroll's by himself in 18th place. Yeah, there was the classic like, and now they go wheel to wheel. And then it was Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll. Just plug along. I was like, whoa, whoa. But they definitely, uh, they definitely looked like they were, uh, they, Aston Martin, I mean, had good pace. And Vettel did actually look um, faster than Lance Stroll this weekend. So, I'm liking that. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, on to my favorite team to be ignored ever, uh, Alfa Romeo. Uh, so Giovinazzi started and ended in P10. He scored Alfa Romeo's first points for the season, actually, which I hadn't even realized they hadn't scored a point yet. And Raikkonen went from P14 to P11 in the race. Um, you know, 
I feel like Giovinazzi is doing okay this season. He's he's I think pretty clearly beating Raikkonen on the season, and I mean he grabbed the team's only point so far for the year. I don't know. It, it just kind of feels like Alpha's in their own world window where they're not quite as good as the rest of the midfield, but they're not quite as bad as Williams and Haas. So they're just kind of putting around. Uh, down to Williams. So we have, of course, Mr. Saturday, George Russell, uh, putting his car in P15. Uh, so just making it into Q2. And Latifi starting in P18. And both drivers would finish P14 and P15, respectively. Question. Mm-hmm. Um Mr. Saturday, where did that nickname come from? Um, So basically just George Russell's kind of qualifying prowess. So since he's started in F1, I think this is his third season, Mm -hmm. he's never been out-qualified by a teammate in the Williams Mm. um, over the 40-something-odd races that he's raced for them. Uh, the only time he's been out qualified was when he went to Mercedes and for one weekend and was out qualified by Valtteri Bottas by like two one hundredths of a second or something like that. So basically, no time at all. Um, so it's in relation to his teammates, not the rest of the field. Yeah, more so with relate with relation to his teammate, and then the fact that he's managed to put the Williams into Q two most weekends basically since halfway through last year where his teammate gotcha. typically struggles to do so it's it's kind of hard to compare it to anyone but his teammate just because the williams is such a essentially bad car it's hard to compare it mm-hmm. to other cars they're, they're basically just racing themselves um so yeah he can only kind of okay. be compared to his teammate gotcha um but then the thing is we saw him in the mercedes with only a couple days kind of practice get within two one hundredths of valtteri botas who is one of the few people on the grid that we know can at times out-qualify Lewis Hamilton. So it kind of bodes well for his qualifying ability, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and last but not least, Haas. Uh, so clap it up for Mr. Mazepin for the first time in his F1 career, which yeah, is only five races. Uh, he, he might be my guy. He did not finish last <laughs> of the finishers. <laughs> Uh, he, he did finish ahead of ahead of his teammate Mick Schumacher in P17 with Schumacher in P18. Now Schumacher crashed in FP3, so he actually didn't even start the race, start qualifying. So he automatically started at the back. He did pass Mazepin going into the hairpin on on lap one. It was one of the few overtakes on track in the race. It was a nice take. It was a nice overtake. But sometime I think after the pit stops, I don't know if he ran off track or what the case may have been, but. Mazepin passed him and he never passed him back. I have no idea what happened. They never showed it. And to be honest, I never went to go look. Um, but yeah, Mazepin didn't finish in last. So hats off to him. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he continues to improve. All right. So before we wrap up, let's uh, let's get into our winners and losers of the weekend. Um, Kevin, let's start with you. Who do you have for a driver of the day? And uh, I guess loser of the day as well. Oh, man. Um... Um, loser of the day. Um, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna start there because that's the easiest one. Um, through no fault of his own, uh, I'm gonna put that out there. Um, Valtteri Bottas was, I guess, the biggest loser of the day, I, as in being on the losing end of happenings. I'll say um, that was definitely just a hate that it had to be you moment um, for him. In that pit stop. Um, as far as driver of the day, ooh, how long do we know? Man, it's so hard for me to feel like I can I sh- can give anybody driver of the day for this race. I actually watched the whole thing from front to back, even though know, <laughs> at I don't know lap fifty something I fell asleep. There wasn't really anything going on. Um, um, but I'm gonna give it to Max, good old Maxi Boy, um, the race winner, um, only just because now he's in the lead in the drivers' championship and his team's in the lead in the constructors' championship. So um, I'm definitely gonna give that to the driver of the day, to Max, just for getting this result and pushing the team up there. So. Okay. Uh, for me, for driver of the day, I was a little torn between 
honestly, Perez and Vettel. And the reason I'm going to go actually Vettel's way is because just we saw where the Red Bull should have been. And I don't want to kind of do the typical driver of the day thing that, that fans do where we just give driver of the day the, the guy that like just kind of does the most overtakes. Because um, Perez shouldn't have been starting in P9 in the first place. Uh, so I'm going to go with Seb Vettel. Uh, we kind of saw a reemergence of Vettel. We saw him get racy without spinning or crashing or anything. And it looked like he just had a really clean, good weekend. Put the car in a good place in qualifying ahead of his teammate. And yeah, just made it stick. So that's my driver of the day. Loser of the day. I'm going to say, and I don't, I don't want to get repetitive, but I'm going to say Mercedes um, from top to bottom. I think I could make an argument that this was, as a whole team, probably one of, if not their worst weekend of the turbo hybrid era, including Spain 2016 when both drivers crashed out. Because at least at that point, it was just the two drivers, not the team's fault. This weekend, Hamilton did bad. The only person that didn't do poorly in that team was Botas, basically, and he still suffered. So I'm going with them. Cool. Um, for me, driver of the day, I, I think... Uh... I think I'm in line with what Shaq said on 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 Seb Vettel. I think that that the reason why I was a little torn on this is because he benefited from an intelligent race strategy, pitch strategy. But at the end of the day, the strategy is worthless if you don't go out and execute on it. And he did. He went out there. He stuck to the plan. He 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 ended up where he did because it was a good marriage of strategy and execution. Um, as far as loser of the day, uh, it shouldn't be a surprise. I'm going with Danny Rick. I feel like if you, if I tell you that my favorite place to shoot a jumper from is the elbow, and it doesn't matter what ball you give me, and then game day comes and we go to that elbow and I'm open and I go 0 for 12, you're gonna be like, I thought you liked this 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 corner of the court. Well, to me, Monaco is supposed to be his corner of the court. Like he says, he likes that track. He's performed well there. I get it. It's a new car figuring things out. The track hasn't changed in 50 years. So I that's where I'm at on that 12th place. I think that's kind of not very good. All right. Um, well, as we wrap up here, uh, we have Red Bull leaving the weekend with the lead in both cups uh, for the first time, not only this season, but since 2013. Um the fight is really on at the top of the at the top of the mountain, and Red Bull is going to look to push their lead in two weeks in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, Jesus. While Mercedes, <laughs> well, that's Mercedes. I should have just, just put Baku on that. I don't know why. I put oh my god, not Azerbaijan, Jesus man. Oh man, while Mercedes is really going to be headed back to the factory with more questions than answers right now. Uh, they got to figure it out, um, and they have a couple weeks to kind of rebound and get it together fix those wheel nuts yeah i think i think the wheel's still on the car i think they finally got it all they had to get it all the way back okay yeah see you guys in two weeks i think we're back in two weeks so see you then sounds good all right thanks for stopping by everyone